This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. We're going to continue this uh, topic because it's clearly a very high-priority one and, and very challenging, the, the question of, of communicating the urgency of... Um, of climate change and the need to mitigate it to broad audiences. And to do so, we're going to call now on Tony Barnowski from UC Berkeley and uh, Tini Matlock from UC Merced. Is Tini here? Yes, good. Okay. Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, yeah, communication. I think that We've all seen today there are lots of great solutions out there. There are lots of great policies. Um, so why isn't it happening? And I think we all know the answer, that the word just hasn't gotten out there in the right way, either in terms of um, the necessity or the urgency. So we, uh, Tini and myself and our co-authors on this chapter, have really a pretty simple message that we have to do a lot better job of communicating. We've got some suggestions on how we might do that. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because it's not like we haven't been communicating. Um, we've known about this problem for 50 years or more. I mean, Lyndon Johnson was talking about climate change, about CO2 in the air in 1965. In 1988, there was a congressional hearing. Washington was sweltering. Steve Schneider, Jim Hansen were testifying to the Senate about climate change. Um, 2006, we see this cover of Time magazine after another set of watershed climate incidents, including Hurricane Katrina the year before. So, you know, we know about this stuff, or we think we do. But in fact, latest surveys give you information like this. This is from the um, Yale Project on Climate Change Communication and, and their partner, George uh, Mason University, a Six Americas study, where they identified that if we just look at the United States, um, less than half of, the, of people in the US think climate change is a problem urgent enough to do anything about. Um, only about half the people in the U.S. Um, think that humans cause climate change. So that's why we're not moving the needle very much. The sense of urgency just isn't there. If you look at what's going on in the rest of the world, um, you know, it's pretty clear that when people are just trying to literally get by from day to day, they're not thinking too much about climate change tomorrow. And that explains why in places like Bangladesh, Egypt, uh, and similar developing countries, less than 35% of adults have even heard of climate change. So that's the barrier we have to overcome. Interestingly, we don't have to overcome it at the top anymore, at least uh, in some very... Um, powerful circumstances. I've been in this business for about 20, almost 30 years now, and it's only been in the past five years that we're seeing the leaders of the top producing, uh, top emissions producing countries 
actually saying in no uncertain terms, climate change is a problem, we have to fix it. Um, President Xi in China, uh, President Obama, um, here in California, Governor Brown has been a huge uh, moving force in this. The under two MOU has now agreements from, uh, I think last count was about 49 different subnationals. If you put those all together, that would be, and pretended they were a country, that would be the third most polluting country in the world. So we've got one, two, three. Um, things are happening. Uh, and, you know, as, as Ram pointed out this morning, religious leaders are now taking this on. He's um, been communicating with Pope Francis. I've had many other scientists. It's not only um, Catholics. This uh, picture here is of um, His All Holiness Bartholomew I, uh, who is being presented there a scientific consensus statement on climate change and other issues, and he's, he's issued encyclicals, as have most other religious leaders of major religions. So people at the top get it, um, even people at the top that you don't expect. The military is so on board with this stuff, you can't believe it. We've talked to national security advisors uh, with think tanks in Washington, and the attitude in the military at the highest levels is climate change is the biggest national security threat we now face. Um, and, you know, these guys get it. I love this quote about responding to uncertainty about climate change. If you wait until you have 100% certainty on the battlefield, something bad's going to happen. And, and that's, you know, that's our battlefield. Um, so here's the issue. The disconnect is with the general public. People at the top can't do everything they want to do if the general public, their constituencies, aren't on board with it. Um, and there are several key messages that we have to be better at getting across, okay? Quickly. Um, message number one, climate disruption is real. We now know that. Uh, it's caused by humans. We know what causes it, fossil fuels. We have to change over our uh, stationary energy systems and our transportation systems um, to become greenhouse gas neutral. We've heard how we can do that. Um, the other thing is it's not something on the, out in the future anymore. It's happening. Just a few fairly recent news articles. The one on the left there, the most powerful hurricane coming up and developing faster than anybody ever expected was just a couple of days ago off the coast of Mexico. Warmer waters, warmer atmosphere, more energy, more intense <laughs> storms. Over the past uh, 10 years, there have been more billion-dollar weather disasters, extreme weather events, in the United States than has been averaged for any 10-year period in record-keeping. So it's happening, and it's costing us money. Um, you know, unexpected ways, people can't get insurance, insurance rates are going up, and it's costing lives. Every continent in the world over this past year, except Antarctica, has experienced heat waves that have killed people. And I just picked one out of many news articles there to put on this slide from Karachi, Pakistan. Um, 
Okay, and then the other message. If we don't fix it, our lives are going to get worse. Um, new study came out at uh, Berkeley and Stanford a couple of days ago. Um, you're going to be about 23% poorer if we don't do something about climate change. That's, that's the finding of this latest study. Um, we're all worried about the Syrian refugee crisis that's flooding Europe right now. What people haven't connected but are beginning to connect is things like the Arab Spring uprising, things like the uh, political unrest that is causing, allowing ISIS to develop strongholds. Climate change contributes to that by contributing to food insecurity, droughts, and so on uh, that destabilize nations. This is why the U.S. military is, is concerned. Okay, so those are, the, you know, those are the bad news stories, but the reality is we can fix this stuff. We know how to do it. Uh, you know, if we build all these machines, uh, problem solved, okay, more or less. Um, big numbers, but think about this. Just in the U.S., we built enough road to go around the equator twice in the last 50 years. We, built, we dammed 60% of the big rivers in the world, worldwide. So the technology and building the technology is not a problem. Um, and we also have a responsibility to the developing world to bring energy use up to standards uh, that allow a good standard of living. Know how to do that, too. This is a, a hospital at the base of Mount Everest. Um, it's run entirely on solar and micro-hydro, state-of-the-art operating room. So we know, again, how to leapfrog over, and this is something that uh, can be helped. So, you know, these are messages that are not getting out there. And part of the reason they're not getting out there is we're shooting to the wrong part of the distribution. We have lots of ways of delivering these um, messages. But as, as somebody mentioned earlier, a certain proportion of any population are free riders. They're not going to do anything that isn't good for them. Um, so forget about them. That's about 20% of any population. Altruists are, you know, like us in this room. We see the common good. That's about 20%. Forget about them, too. They're on board. What we need are those 60% in the middle. And that 60% in the middle is made up of a lot of different groups, so one size doesn't fit all. Um, and we also know how to get to them, which, which Taney can tell you about now. Thank you, Tony. Let's go back to that disconnect for a second. So there's 60% of those people who aren't getting the message. How can we do better? First and foremost, it's, it's important to think about we're all human. We have a brain. Uh, we use our brains individually. We use our brains in groups. What can influence those brains? Language, communication, messages. So communication is an extremely important part of this larger problem. 
some solutions. We don't have enough time to talk about a lot of specific solutions along the communications vector right now, but we'll talk about a few. It's very important to develop effective communication strategies. And one of the things we mentioned in our executive summary very close, very uh, short, briefly, is that um, it's important to foster a global culture of climate action through coordinated public communication and education. And this is at all levels, local, global. It's also important to combine technology and policy solutions with innovative approaches to changing social attitudes and behavior. Again, we need language to do this. We need communication strategies that are effective. Okay, one important part of communicating effectively is framing. So this is all about persuading someone, especially when people are on the fence, they're not really certain if they want to commit or what decisions they want to make at the end of the day, if and when they want to take action, what those actions will be, and so on. Um, one part of framing involves the wording of that message. So you formulate a sentence as a speaker or a writer. You put that message out there. You're putting words together. You're concatenating different meanings together. Um, that's one important part of framing. Another important part is grammar. So some of the work I've done looks at uh, the use of grammar in political messages. You can actually convince somebody not to vote a particular way by using a certain past tense form and so on. So sometimes the messages we formulate, um, even the very low-level details, the tiny seemingly microscopic details can matter a lot. It's important to do the science work to look at how communication can be optimal and so on. And then last, there are certain rhetorical tools that you can use that will help the general public understand complex, abstract, difficult issues around climate issues. So for example, Titanic struggle is one term that uh, Jerry Brown was using recently. And so a very popular metaphor. And today, in this very room, we've heard hundreds of metaphors being used to talk about climate change. Also with framing, it's not just the verbal message, it's those images. Okay, so if we're talking about extreme events, right, we could show a, a beautiful billowing smoke cloud on the horizon. Is that a good message to show when there's disaster and hundreds of homes burning or the risk of that? Maybe not. Or how about glowing embers in a large forest fire? Beautiful depictions. Maybe that's not so good either, right? But maybe it's best to show devastation, pictures of burnt forests and so on. These are questions that we can explore and find answers to. Another important part of communication, communicating about climate that's very important is knowing your audience. This is something we all heard in elementary school, high school, in undergrad years and so on. But it's a really important thing to go back to in formulating climate messages, whether we're social scientists, hydrologists, or whatever we are. We need to think about not just the audience, because a one-size-fits-all message often doesn't work. We have to think about audiences. There are different religions, different cultural groups. In California alone, there are many different languages that are spoken. In the world, there are 7,000 languages spoken. Not everyone in California, in the nation, or on this planet speaks English. 
So we as scientists, to get those messages out there, to have them be effective, and to have them reach all stakeholders, we need to think about the use of different languages as well. In California alone, over 44% uh, people speak Spanish in the home. Um, another solution we can think about here for a minute is ways to connect with our community. Um, in the UC alone, we're doing a pretty good job of this. You see more and more efforts popping up on the 10 campuses that are educating and doing outreach events. Um, so at UC Berkeley alone, there's uh, the Museum of Paleontology, and they offer these wonderful short-term courses for the general public, and one is on global change. These kinds of efforts are great because they help get the message out there and they engage the general public. At UC Merced, our newest campus, two years ago, we formed the Center for Climate Communication. It's the only one uh, like, like that on the West Coast. And we um, hold events to educate the general public. We have public talks, and we involve, involve, invite all the community, and we post our talks on a website. Um, other outreach educational sorts of things, UC Santa Barbara has a no number of efforts going on. One of them is a Blue Horizons program run through the Environmental Media Initiative. So people who engage in that program create documentaries and, and uh, popular media sorts of things about the environment. And then, of course, we have UCTV as well. Okay, the way forward... Some final thoughts here. Um, so we have the science, we have the technology, the expertise, we have a number of workable policy ideas. Things are feasible, right? But we need to do better in terms of communication. We need a more targeted way to communicate within UC, within California, in the nation, in the world. We need to communicate a sense of urgency, so we need to think very carefully about how to frame those messages. We need to communicate that it's feasible, that we really can achieve these goals. It goes to optimism there. But at the same time, conveying how bad things might be if we don't do something soon, right now. And then last, that social tipping point. We need good scientific research on how do we convince people how do we convey these messages and find that place in a single individual and in a group of individuals that will cause them to think about something in a different way? Thank you. Thank you, Tini and Tony. We have time for a couple of quick questions. Yes, wait for the microphone. Hi there, thanks for your uh, presentation. My question is about the tools in communication that you're using. These are some of the same tools that the opposing lobby is also utilizing to communicate their message. So my question is, how, how do you make the differentiation between the message that, that we might be conveying versus um, the false science that they're projecting? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's a great question. And uh, you might have noticed on, on one of those slides, we had a, a list of, of um, venues for communication, and one was countering disinformation, right? So the other side has been really, really good uh, at having a targeted message, at putting 
things in terms that people will respond to that sort of, you know, hits home. Um, the problem is the other side lies. <laughs> um, so, so I think we can actually learn something uh, from the disinformation campaign, and that is direct, simple, targeted, uh, but we do have to be constrained by the truth, right? Um, up until now, something I think that has really been inhibiting the messages about climate change are the uncertainties that are associated with anything like predicting the future um, and thinking about levels of risk. Um, so I think we can do a better job about emphasizing what we do know rather than what we don't know. And I think we can do a better job of framing what risks really are. So, for example, you know, we talk about a 66% risk of uh, temperature rising by 4.8 degrees Celsius in X number of years, and you say, uh, well, 66%, I can probably live with that. But if you sort of think about it, would I get on an airplane if there was a 66% chance it was going to crash? Your answer is no, right? So I, I think those are the ways we can be better. We have another question here. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Bonnie Reese on UC Board of Regents. Um, in 2000, in the year 2000, there was maybe an eight-point percentage difference between how Republicans in the United States versus Democrats thought of this. Now there's a 54% difference. So when you talk about targeting groups, um, it's at the point where it's not just what the message is, because you say, we have to, what's one message? Humans are causing climate change, um, and we have solutions. But it's at the point now, because we're so motivated by our tribe and our, who, who, who our peers are, that overwhelmingly 50% of the, the number you said, 50% in the United States don't believe it's human-caused, that 100 scientific studies signed off by 99.99% of scientists isn't going to move that group. So have we looked at um, not just the message, but the messengers that are most likely to turn some of those embedded tribes people in our country around on this? That's one question. The second question I have is that the uh, political leaders and others that are now trying to stop progress on policies on climate in this country are now mostly not going on that there's no climate change. Now they're mostly, we can't afford it, the economic and job cost. So the two questions are, one, how do we get to that targeted group that will look at any UC brilliant researcher as a liberal elite and not want to listen to them? Uh, you talk about targeting media. Well, Fox doesn't care, so what media? Um, you know, so how do we get to that group with a 50% that don't believe in the United States live and change their point of view? Have we looked at that? And then the second question is, how do we best get the message out based on the experience in California alone that you can address this, reduce greenhouse gases and have economic growth and job yeah. growth? Do you want me to do one? Yeah, yeah, go, ahead, do go ahead. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do one briefly. 
Um, one thing I do in communicating about climate stuff, and I encourage other people to do this as well, is to disarm anybody of the politics of it. It's really hard, but once you say people shouldn't polarize, that gets in the way of communicating about the key issues and what should be done, and don't assign blame. You know, let's just move forward. It's happening now. For whatever reason, let's move forward. And sometimes people will be more open to a message once you say, let's, let's not talk about it in terms of political terms or necessarily, necessarily align with a political group. Let's all work together to find better solutions. So that's one approach that may help on some level. Um, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And uh, I'd also add that... Um, the messenger is really, really important. So, for example, um, with the national security folks, uh, we've, we've done some talking to a think tank in, in D.C. It's called the CNA Corporation. CNA doesn't stand for anything, but uh, they, they advise um, the Pentagon and the White House on... on uh, various security issues and, and climate change being one of them. This group is made up of the past commanders of the armed forces. I'm talking army chief of staff, um, that level. Um, and at, at one point, you know, we said, well, what, you know, why don't one of you guys come out to California and, and, and give a talk on this? And the answer was, we don't go to places like California because they're already on board. We go to Tennessee, Texas. So who's delivering that message is huge. Um, as far as the economic question you asked, um, there, and, and I'm sure Dan Kamen can speak to this even better than I could, but the message is really going green energy is a jobs generator. It's an investment generator. Um, it's more return on investment. So, uh, so, so the statistics actually point out that fossil fuels are not the way to go anymore. And we, we, we have to be better at communicating that to our, our friends who look at it in economic terms. Thank you. And Bonnie, thank you for that very perceptive, important question. Uh, we, um, let's thank our speakers. Jeannie. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.